You guys hear it? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Game Audio Podcast. It's episode 55, Damien. Oh, 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 we're looping. There we go. Ow! <laughs> yeah, 55, Anton. Can you believe it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've counted, Every time. so I believe it. Every time. Thank goodness you're counting. Because <laughs> uh, it feels like just yesterday that we started uh, these conversations about game audio and focusing on different aspects of uh, what we do on a daily basis, and uh, it's good to be here with you again. Cool. Yeah, yeah. so uh, as always, uh, we're on iTunes, and uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Twitter is Game Audio Podcast without the A at the end. And of course, if you have any feedback or comments or a question to ask us, feel free to send an email to inbox at gameaudiopodcast.com. Um, yeah, so that's that's our introduction right there done. Uh, not much news, I think, this the, this time around, because it's not too long ago since we last recorded an episode. Uh, but one thing that I just came across a couple seconds ago was Frank Bry uh, sharing uh, a recording that he did. So I'm just going to kick it off in the background here, and you, uh, we'll post the link, but it's pretty nice. This is a very nice snowstorm in Idaho where he lives. Yeah. So what about you, Damien? You've got any news? Uh, the most exciting thing so far this week is GDC released a bunch of videos to the vault for free access. And I think this is a trend that we've started seeing the past couple of years. And it's just fantastic to have all of these uh, sessions by by just people sharing their art with um, with people released into the world for anyone to to pick up and have a look at and listen to, uh, regardless of whether they were able to make it up for the conference. So that's been a really great trend, and they just released a whole heap of them. There's just a, just uh, something for everyone. So if you have a chance, um, take a listen to them and, and drop us a mail and tell us what you thought was uh, interesting. Yeah, indeed. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but I'm so excited. We have three of the... People who worked on uh, the recent iOS game Metamorphobit. Super excited to have you all on the show today. Uh, we got Patrick Smith, uh, developer Vector Park, uh, David Camp from David Camp Audio, and Sarah Alger. Great to have you all today. Great to be here. Thank you. Cheers. Well, thanks for coming. I'm wondering if, uh, if we could get a little background on you, and um, we'll start with you, Patrick. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up uh, where you are today doing uh, the things that you're doing. Well, sort of in a roundabout way, I suppose. Um, I started out doing kind of interactive... Well, I have, a, I have a degree in painting from college, so I don't have an interactive education background. But I, I learned Flash on my own um, 
after I got out of school, that's when Flash was kind of a new thing and you could make sort of an interesting interactive website. I've always uh, been interested in animation and uh, I was doing comics for a while. So I have that kind of uh, an interest in visual storytelling. And uh, I just, for a while, I was just making websites, um, free things uh, that weren't necessarily games. Um, at least at that time, I don't think people were calling those things games. Now I think the definition of games is a lot more open-ended. Um, but then around, I guess in 2009, I made Windowsill, which is the first thing that I really tried to sell as a game that you purchase and pay a little bit of money for. And Man, I was uh, right there with you. That was fantastic when that hit. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and Metamorphobet is the really the second game that I've conceived as a game from the start, as opposed to an interactive experience that I sort of figure out as I went along. So um, I actually started working on it um, in beginning of 2012. So it was about a three-year project, and I didn't really start dealing with... Uh, well, I did a little bit of... I found some sounds to use for the navigation, like for the repeated elements, I kind of locked those down pretty early. There's some kind of percussive sounds that take you from screen to screen. There's a finger snap when a word appears. That stuff I kind of figured out early on just because I knew it would be throughout the entire game. The rest of it I just worked on it silently, uh, which for me is useful because it kind of forces me to make the visuals tell you everything you need to know, um, which means that the sound can end up kind of enhancing things, but it's not dependent on the sound, which is just important to me because some people play these things with the, the sound off or, you know, whatever. Uh, so I started, I think I started talking to Sarah about the voice maybe at the end of 2013, December, maybe January 2014. Maybe you remember, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, sounds about right. And then I think I probably started talking to David a little less than a year ago. Um, so maybe like May or April of 2014. Yeah, I think so. So maybe while we're uh, um, actually going straight into Metamorphobeth, we should uh, tell our listeners what the game is about and, uh, and what it's like because maybe they haven't seen it yet. Sure. So it's basically it's an interactive alphabet book. Um, you you come to each letter and it's a three dimensional form and you interact with it and it transforms into different things. Uh, so it's very much in the mold of being a a children's alphabet book. But I, I mean I see it as something that anybody can enjoy. It's a kind of playful interactive experience. Um, it's not particularly challenging. Um, it's not difficult. It's more something that you're encouraged to participate in and play around with. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so from there, y you maybe made a realization that at some point you were going to have to have sounds as part of it. But I'm interested, how, how did you get involved, Sarah, and what was kind of the decision-making process uh, towards having uh, the words vocalized? So, um, so an, a mutual friend um, uh, introduced 
uh, well, sort of connected uh, me with Patrick. She knew that he was working on this project. So um, that was really just serendipitous for me. Um, I think, well, it's Patrick, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but um, it sounded like from the beginning you were looking for um, basically a sound that would be very understated, um, considering that the sort of the graphics were as trippy as they are, um, that the voice really needed to be just very, um, just pretty, pretty plain and simple. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say simple, but maybe sort of um, deadpan or... I, I wanted a voice that sounded clear and communicated how the words were spoken without a lot of... I don't like, I don't like kids' apps that take a cheerful, you know, wee-hee-hoo-hoo tone. <laughs> uh, so I, I really wanted it to be sort of... Yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I wouldn't say simple because I think that there were... There, there, you put in a lot into it. We did a lot of takes. Um, and you kind of had the sound that I wanted, uh, but maybe something more like a teacher, hmm. um, yeah. not not talking down, but just clearly explaining what the words are, and sort of yeah, sort of being um, sort of being the straight man to the weird stuff happening. <laughs> exactly. And I think too. I mean, we did try some takes with with some sort of some more smile and a little bit more up. But I think ultimately um, it, it seemed like you chose to go the much sort of straighter version, which which I thought worked out really nicely. Yeah, generally. I mean, it, it varied from word to word what I would choose. But yeah, most of the time I tried to kind of keep you sounding neutral, I guess would be a good word for it. Nice, nice. And Sarah, what was your kind of way into this? Uh, have you been doing some other voice acting or... Uh, were you just known for having a pleasant voice? Oh, you're too <laughs> kind. Um, so I did. Um, so, yes, I had um, studied at a, a voiceover school in New York and had done a demo and was just basically just sort of getting my, my toe in the water. Um, so this has been really terrific. Um, uh, since then, I've uh, taken on a different job that is very different and very sort of a world away from voiceover. But um, but yeah, I was really really fortunate to be able to to sort of ride the coattails of this project. <laughs> cool. Well, it, and again, I think that I would echo the neutrality of it. It uh, it doesn't pander and it doesn't come across as overly anything. It uh, it is very um, yeah, as it's already been said. Uh, it fits the tone of the app in in the best way. Uh, in that, that leads me to the sound side of things, which, you know, there's – you talk about developing it kind of in a vacuum silently, uh, but there's so much uh, dynamic happening to it. I wonder if, you know, as we lead in to talking about the sound, I, I hope we get there. But, David, maybe talk about your process of – climbing on board the Metamorphobit train and uh, and how that took shape. So, yeah, I was surprised when, uh, actually, when Patrick got in touch because I'm actually not really uh, a game audio guy in the in the classic sense, meaning I don't have uh, any, basically, any game credits uh, in my work, but probably the reason uh, Patrick came across my stuff was uh, my work in animation, which is what I yeah. basically only work in since 
think the first animation projects I did were in 2007 or something. Uh, specifically, actually, what it was, I saw a screening of the Late Night Work Club animation anthology. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a Q&A afterwards. I didn't actually think about the sound that much. I really liked, I really liked the animations. And I, I didn't notice the audio, which was good. And at the end, they had a Q&A, and somebody asked uh, Scott Benson, one of the organizers, who's David Comp? Because your name had appeared in so many of the credits. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, he's this guy who lives in Berlin. He does sound for animation. He's really fast and really good. And so I actually <laughs> went back and watched the whole thing online, and, and I really liked the, the kind of naturalistic quality to the sound. Um, Thanks. So that's, that's specifically how I found your work was through them. Uh, so then the transition started to happen, uh, and you started working on Metamorphobit? Uh, yeah, I mean, we kind of took some time, or, or it took us a while to find a way of, of collaborating, because for Patrick, it was also kind of new to to have an audio guy involved, because I think most of his stuff up to that point uh, was mostly done on his own and in, in his own uh, ways. So um, the, some of the, the usual workflows that I have with uh, animation work uh, didn't work in this case. So we had to dial in the, the process of actually collaborating. And we, um, I guess, both learned that in, in this specific scenario that Patrick was working in using his basically his own audio engine, um, that it made a lot of sense that he did a lot of stuff on his end, like how to implement the sounds and and um, even using some sounds to start. And then what I would do is listen to what he created and maybe give some feedback regarding, like, I don't know, I, I noticed this loop is kind of not working or there's the same sound repeating right after... Uh, basically two times so so we need more random variation things like that which actually made patrick recreate his his own audio engine that he was using to to allow some of that so he could still do it on on his end but in a way that would be more efficient also for me to work so um yeah so it was this kind of um he sending me things And, and me giving basically sound feedback what could be improved and then later on when when the basic thing was working um i i would give notes like this could be lowered this sounds maybe maybe the sound itself the the uh, source sounds were not up to par with the rest so i would suggest to to re-record some elements and replace them and i would then do that and send them to patrick so it was a really I guess for for a usual game workflow, it was a very different um, approach um, to to working together. Cool. So so actually, Patrick, I wanted to take it back a step for uh, a bit on on Metamorphobit. Um, uh, what was the original idea, and how did the game start in your mind? Uh, well, um, well, that's a difficult question uh, actually I mean I, I had the idea in my mind to do an alphabet game for a long time I just kind of liked the idea um, I like that it's su such a well like a, an overdone kind of idea that 
in a way that kind of gives you some freedom in a strange way, at least for me, um, because the expectations for it are so set that you really don't have to follow them. Um, but I didn't really come up with this specific way of doing it with the transformations um, until a, around the time that I started. And I don't really know how I, how I came up with that. It just maybe made maybe some things just clicked together in my head that this was a way that I could do it that made sense, that seemed like it would be interesting to do uh, for 26 letters, because I knew it was going to be a big project. Mm. Um, so I wanted to make sure I had a, an idea that I liked for how to do it. Well, and I think it is the... Pr- go, go ahead, Anton. Go, Damien. Go. I was just going to say, I think it is ultimately kind of the perfect synergy between Windowsill, which was a very delightful uh, interactive puzzle toy, what you want, uh, and and this idea of learning and interacting through the alphabet. It was, you know, the it's it's not just a see a letter, speak a letter, uh, progression it's a it's a full-on you know feast of interactivity like you're saying with with um with how you can play with each letter and evolve each letter um through different words and different uh i guess mechanics in some way yeah good um and so for me, it feels like a, a very clear spiritual successor to that within the framework, like you were saying, of the alphabet, which I think everyone knows the English alphabet. Yeah, but the, because the interesting part for me was that it went from uh, uh, an adult audience to a children's audience. And um, from sort of the the style of what you were doing uh, before... It was it's, it's it, in retrospect because I learned from your work through uh, Metamorphobeth. It seems almost surprising to go to a children's uh, a specific thing, even though I don't think it is only for children. I, because I think you mentioned it as well, it's very everybody that I show it to is excited about it and and surprised by every turn of, of it. Yet it is still very specifically for 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 children, and. and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I sort of sense this 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 history here that goes from the Monty Python uh, original interactive scenes, if if you know what I mean. Because I think in the 90s they made these CD-ROMs even before the internet of these clickable things where stuff happened, and it seems like this stuff is all um, uh, kind of lineage to those kind of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, I've done things that are maybe a little more in that vein in the past, or at least more explicitly in that vein. Um, I mean, to me, what's kind of interesting is how little it takes to make something be for children. Uh, one of the reasons I thought it would be fun to do something like this um, was that when I when I when I rewrote Windowsill uh, for the iPad, I started getting a lot of feedback from parents, like videos of very young children playing it. And that kind of surprised me, but it also uh, made me think that um, the way that I design things, um, you know, there's no instructions. You don't really need to know that much about life to get through them. It's more, it's an internal system. There's a lot of visual (laughs) feedback. And that's all things that kids respond to really well. And in fact, I think kids have a better time 
with some of this stuff than adults because adults say, will, yeah. stare, will stare at a screen and look for clues. They want to know what to do before they touch it. Yeah. Kids will just start messing around with it. Yeah, one of the greatest joys was playing through Windows so with my then seven-year-old, right, and just, <clears throat> just letting that happen and, you know, providing that gentle nudge once in a while, but allowing it to just be for her an experience. And that's a great joy in, in metamorphosis more for a bit as well as letting people interact with it and seeing their their joy. One of the surprising things to me about it is that the, the way you transition from letter to letter is with a star that appears on the top right of the screen and a sound cue plays to let you know that that is now an option. But still, if you want to, you can continue to interact with the current letter. It seems it seems like the 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 the, the young children. My son is now almost two years old. And he was much better at realizing, okay, I'm done now with this letter. I can move on to the next. And I do that by going to the star. Uh, then a lot of the adults that I show the game to. Well, I figured when people would get bored of what they were doing, they would start looking around the screen and they'd see it. Yeah. But I tried to, yeah, I mean, I tried to end each letter with a toy, basically, so that you'd have something something you could stay around with if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. The caterpillar in the car is my personal favorite. The the whole letter C, you know, if I can go into specifics for me, is is one of the the ones that stands out as pretty genius. It it's for uh, I'll play some audio of it uh, over this, but it starts out with this rolling. Uh, well, the C turns into a cone shaped thing that rolls around. C cone. that was superbly integrated the way that rolling happens because it's so smooth how it uh, transitions with the speed at which you roll it and all those kinds of things and then somehow you do something and it turns into an alarm and that turns into a car with an alarm and then a caterpillar appears and you throw it around and it crashes it's yeah it was really really good not the app of course crashes right (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> we hope not. I, I've I've had zero crashes on on that. Uh, on, that's on good. That's, so. that's always good. To Ex- hear. Actually, Actually, Patrick, I have a question um, regarding how things proceed with this whole star thing and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, did you add because there is an, a very linear element to the app, which is maybe not completely natural or, or required. So I was wondering, it it could be possible to just um, go back in time as well so not arrive at a certain scene but uh, go backwards if you want to even if there is the star now I was wondering if you considered that or or why you you mean going didn't. back to a different letter or no going back going within back the within letter, letter. W- within the scene I yeah. mean that's I I had I had played around with doing some things where it was more um You can move around to the different elements within a scene, Mm. and it just becomes much more complex to program that, Mm -hmm. Um, to have all these states um, be reversible 
and to have every animation be something you could move both ways through. It was one of those mm-hmm. things where I decided early on, or I decided at some point that it, I was just going to go ahead and make it this way so that I could focus on other parts of it. Um, it's also, I, in a way, if you give people too many options, <laughs> sometimes they end up actually having less of an enjoyable experience. I think it's, it's difficult. I mean, I think what you're suggesting is in some ways a a much different kind of experience. Yeah, I, I don't know, but it's interesting to think about. So circling back to this idea of the cone that's rolling and the dynamics of that, right? Um, I'm, I'm guessing, Patrick, that you had uh, crafted your scene and crafted your experience to a certain extent. And David, what did you get in this particular case to work with from Patrick as far as, you know, what kind of assets you might need? Was it just a, an animation or an interactive portion of the game that you were given? And then, I guess, tell us a little bit about what a process of breaking down a single letter might be like for you. Yeah, I mean, like I said, um, in this case, much of that stuff was actually in the end happening on Patrick's end um, within his own engine. So um, at the beginning, he sort of, created a version of the engine that I had locally and could um, basically load the letter and change assets and change some of the sound uh, parameters and um, but in the end we we learned that it was just in, in this specific scenario um, much better to just let him handle it on his part as, as good as he gets it basically in in his uh, in his engine, and then I would just check it out and listen to it and and suggest replacements. But but the, the whole basically the whole implementation part uh, in the end was also happening uh, on Patrick's end. Sure, and then but you'd have a little interactive. You'd you'd have the letter to play with and kind of to understand how it was going to be interactive and what sounds you might need to provide for Patrick to integrate. Yeah. Uh, right. So you had in, a build of the game. You were kind of in step with that. Right. And in, in the very beginning, I had a like a special version of the game, uh, yeah. which where I could load the letters, replace sounds, etc. Um, but then in the end, I was just using an actual build of the app, checking out what what was working, what was not so, not working so well. Um, and then, yeah, and then just basically suggest asset replacements or logic repla- logic changes. That 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 part though, that with the rolling cone, is actually a pretty good example of a part where David had a lot of feedback early on about what the sound engine should be able to do to accommodate that kind of sound. I think the final audio might even be something that I got from Freesound, but the what, what I mean, lots of the sounds are from Freesound, but the way that they're composed and the way they interact with the code um, was something that actually Dave and I had a lot of conversations early on. Uh, so like these parts where there's a sound that might like a rolling thing, this, the volume could change depending on how fast the thing is rolling. Maybe it's a sound that needs to be like repeating and overlapping itself, or maybe it's a continuously playing sound that changes volume. And all of those things were, I mean, I kind of had a, I, I started out 
by kind of rolling over my sound engine from windowsill, which was much simpler. And when I showed that to David, basically he was like, a lot of this stuff just isn't good enough if you want to have it sound really good for this stuff. And so there was a lot of, um, I mean, I basically did rebuild my entire sound engine um, uh, sort of as a result of, of this back and forth with David. And then I sort of, once we kind of finished that phase, it's, it seemed to work best be, kind of because of my, and David was very patient about this, because of my kind of inclinations for me to go through and just put a bunch of sounds in as a first draft. And then David came back in at the end and kind of listened to everything. And as he said, he made suggestions. Uh, he revised some sounds for me. Um, so it was kind of, we... Like, I think it was a pretty unusual process for designing a game, uh, a game's audio, but I also don't really do anything the usual way, so, you know, yeah. that kind of worked out. Well, I, well, I guess I'm reminded of, uh, we did a podcast with uh, uh, the Diet team. Yeah, David Kananga and Sean. Yeah, th their collaboration seemed kind of similar, because also Sean was very hands-on himself, completely built his own engine in C++. It seemed like they have the same kind of dynamic, but I think it's something that you have when you have such a, a personal art, uh, artistic vision for a project and you're so in control of it, then uh, it makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, and, and I guess I would say it sounds kind of like, you know, David was able to help, you know, show places where your audio approach could be bettered. I have to roll up my favorite uh, dynamic event is the letter J when you can pluck on it and oh, sure. pitches and uh, and volumes based on how f how hard you pluck the J, yeah. right? J. Jiggle. And it, this is a this is the borderline uh, game as instrument kind of conversation, right? Yeah, it, yeah. Definitely. Well, and there's, uh, I mean, I think the parts where the game becomes more of an instrument is actually where, um, I mean, there were some parts, so the, there's, a, there's a guitar in G mm. that uh, talking with Dave, I mean, this, and this came at the end when we were, you know, kind of doing revisions, but he had a lot, he had some ideas for basically how you could play it a little bit differently than it worked. Those are all um, his sounds. And he also had the idea sure. that when you pull the flowers off of the stems, it would it would make the same sounds, um, which didn't make sense to me when he explained it. But when I put it in there, I thought it it worked really beautifully. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, there, there there are some places where I think uh, we really did collaborate a lot on on sort of how the whole thing works. Um, I think the other part that comes to mind is the letter P, where there's a this a yeah. parade at the end and the musical instruments. And originally I had it so you would touch some of the players and, the, and there'd be a kind of a nice animation of the guy hitting the drum. And David said, no, you have to make it so it plays right away. You have to make it be an instrument. You can't just be showing this or it's too long of a delay. And uh, yep. I mean, he was right. That's like not something you want to do as an animator. You want to show all the motion and stuff. But it's a better, it's a it's a different and better thing as a result. Maybe to quickly ex explain this, because there was a 
like a march kind of thing loop in the background which was very rhythmic oh yeah and then if you would touch some of the the uh, letters that were basically the parade there were different letters um walking as the parade and each one had had a different instrument so what patrick was just saying is um hitting the the letter that that has a drum sound for example um if you touch it basically the sound had to happen immediately otherwise even if you played in the correct timing to the music uh, it was just not a satisfying experience because the the audio result would be off because the animation of actually the moment when the the stick hits the drum visually happened like half a second after you touched the drum so of course the sound for touching the drum had to be when when visually the drum was touched because it was visible so basically we shortened the animation of the of the whole drum thing from something that looked very visually very nice but was not a satisfying experience when when actually touching it right for the sake of the dynamic aspect of that of that interaction and the yeah. musical rhythm as well because if you hit the cymbal on the basically uh, at the beginning of the bar like you maybe want to and it happens like halfway into the bar then that's obviously not great in a, in a musical sense because it's like you're playing the drums right but they are not working kind of yeah absolutely and now do you, do do you do a lot of recording yourself david i'm assuming that that there's a prolific amount of sounds that you're making and recording yourself for this um yeah i mean basically for my like i said my my main uh area is animation and this is um also not not limited to sound design i pretty much for my animation work i do pretty much everything from I actually studied music composition, so so I'm a trained composer. Um, but I also do the the Foley stuff, sound design, mixing. Basically, it's all uh, up to music composition and even playing instruments. It's pretty much all uh, me. And I think for in in this case for this app, there were moments where this was nice because, like for example, in the in the scene with the guitar that that Patrick mentioned. He had like he found some sounds on free sound for like when when the guitar was dropping to the floor, and he had some some different uh, guitar sounds for each string, um, but some of them were chords and it was kind of very static. So what I in the end created for that scene was using the same guitar. Um, I recorded basically a couple of variations for guitar falling to the floor and the the strings would resonate when it drops and all that um and then the individual strings forming forming an actual chord um so you could play all the individual strings which would result in a in a musical chord yeah yeah um and then for, i think for the flowers i think it was like flageolet uh, flageolet stuff on the on the guitar as well so you could um, basically everything you touched in that scene was coming from the same guitar rather than being some random guitar things from different um, free sure. sound people. So it was more coherent and also at a better recording quality, etc. 
Sure, exactly, exactly. And and uh, the chord that it made up, right, is very clearly it's unified, right? Yeah, when you, right. When you strum it. Uh, so many tiny moments, too. It's great to see so much detail in an app on the sound side of things. I think there has been a tendency to believe that a mobile title or a a smaller game, if you will, does not have the same amount of detail and quality. But clearly, you know, a lot of attention has gone into that. Uh, not just, you know, all the different sounds and uh, how much variation there is, because I, I think like you had mentioned, there's a ton of variation appropriately when it makes sense, when you have a lot of repetition. But mm -hmm. also tonally, I think the whole game speaks of of a kind of quality, if I will, which I think the voice helps to really bring in an anchor as as the um, you know the human aspect of it, right? Because the I think when when Anton was describing C, it's like I was I was you know hallucinating uh, just exactly <laughs> what that experience was like, you know, and and maybe being a kid is kind of like that anyway, but. Um, but I think that what brings it back to kind of a humanity or a human level is that voice and um, and Sarah, the work that you did there to to do that. What was the recording process between you and and Patrick? Were you remote for that, or are you both regional on the East Coast? Uh, we are both on the East Coast. Um, when we started to correspond, I was still living in New York, as Patrick does. Um, so, Patrick, I know you sent me some sort of initial word lists, which I just sort of recorded at home, just sort of as placeholders for you. And then um, once it was time to record for real, I had moved to Boston. And so um, I recorded in a studio here and um, and Patrick patched in by phone. So we did we ended up doing two recording sessions. It was. Yeah. Yeah. And and how was I mean what did you feel like um you know you, you had to do to prepare for this? I mean you obviously had a script of the words that you had been illustrating towards yeah. and whatnot. But I guess is was there any preparation that you were doing uh towards this? Uh well it helped that I had that I had some demo words that Sarah had already done. And I think we maybe even had some back and forth. I can't remember actually whether we did. We we, we might have done more than one round of those. So I think that she yeah. had a she had a pretty good idea of what I wanted and what she was doing was already pretty close to what I wanted. So the really with the VO sessions, I mostly felt pressure to make sure that I was getting enough versions so that I could pick the one that would be ideal. Gotcha. Um, I mean, it's it's a strange thing to sort of be on the clock and paying for this and feeling like you need to use all of the time and uh, know you have to get everything you want in that session. It's strange to sort of be directing someone because um, I, I usually do everything by myself. So it's uh, this, a lot of this was about learning how to not just tell other people what I was looking for, but also kind of trust that they could bring their skills to it and 
kind of ease up a little bit on having such a such a firm idea of what I want that I'm not really open to what's happening sometimes. What did you do before Sarah's voice was in there? Did you have your own voice? I think I tried my voice and I didn't like it just because it, you're just hearing yourself. It sure. doesn't sound right. <laughs> I added um, this I podcast, actually had so some, I know exactly what you're talking exactly. about. <laughs> I pulled some MP3s off of like a dictionary website uh, just to have somebody else's voice in there. And uh, that sounded kind of ridiculous, but it did at least get something in there. But, you know, for most of the game, I, I just didn't even bother having the voice in. I just knew it was going to be there. And Now, is there any concept of localization? I was going to ask about this, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, to do other languages, I think, is pretty much impossible without a great deal of work. Yeah. Mm. It's not like you can just find the equivalent words to start with the same letter. Right. Or more of a possibility would be doing localization for non-American English. Sure. And, you know, that's something that I might do. I'm still, I'm putting together a desktop version now. Oh, cool. I'm still kind of wrapping up some bug fixes and stuff. So I'm not really, I'm not ready to get into that yet. And I don't know if I will. Um, part of me feels like, well, this is it. This is the project. Like it's, you can't infinitely customize it for everyone. Yeah. On the other hand, like I know that there are people who would appreciate if their child could hear somebody saying these words in a British English accent. Aha. So that's a possibility. Um, but to me, I mean, it's difficult because I can understand that as something that a parent would want and as something you might expect from an educational app. To me, you know, Sarah's voice is very integral to the experience. That's, that to me is just part of it and how it works. And it's, it's odd for me to think about there being a different version. Yeah. So I don't know. It's an open question. Or Sarah could fake a British accent, maybe. <laughs> I, I tried to talk her into that, and she doesn't think that's a good idea. <laughs> as far as localization, one idea would be maybe to somehow enable the a translation of the word by another uh, language. So then you would keep the you would keep Sarah in, and you would have, for example, the Dutch word for elephant is olifant. So you could have uh, another voice say elephant after elephant has been spoken, also say the Dutch word. You mean so that it would associate the English word with the native word? Exactly, and because you also see the image, so it sort of has the three things: you hear, uh, hear, and see the English word, and you hear the Dutch word, and you see the image that you recognize as something in both languages. Hmm. That would actually turn it into a vocabulary learning thing. Yeah, I think true. So. Which is also nice, kind yeah. of. Maybe. Yeah, that's an. Yeah, that, I hadn't thought of it that way. Somebody had suggested just putting, almost like as a, a, a subtitle, put the local word printed beneath the English word. Hmm. Hmm. I think that would put it outside of the age bracket for for the age of child that would benefit the most from it. Right. But I agree because I mean Dutch children usually learn how to speak English because we don't have dubbed TV series. So yeah. you 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 hear the English and you see the Dutch translation written. So it's got yeah, good work. I see. I, I gotta say one thing. I've you met, we mentioned Freesound a couple of times, and mm, that yeah. you guys have been using that. And Freesound has been around for uh, ten years now, 
And yeah. through some lucky coincidence, I have been an admin over at Freesounds for all that time, although not the best one. Oh. Uh, and the also funny coincidence is that um, a little bit o- over a year ago, um, a year and two weeks ago, or oh, 10 years and two weeks ago, I uploaded this particular sound to Freesound. Oh. And I was just checking out the credits for Metamorphobit a minute ago. And, uh-huh. I know, and I went on to the free sound list, and it turns out that mm, there's a sound of me in that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> What's the sound? <laughs> it's, the, it's the typing sound. Oh, oh, you were pl- oh I thought you were actually typing. Uh, no, okay. no. Oh, yeah, yeah, so well, see, it's a funny part. So I, I, if one of the, if I was like, oh, I want to upload some stuff to Freesound. What do I do? Oh, well, I have a keyboard and a and a, and a microphone right above my keyboard. Why don't yeah. I just record that for a couple seconds and upload it? And it turns out it's my most popular sound on Freesound. It's pretty <laughs> insane. It's been, it has, it it has by now 114 comments. And it's uh, been downloaded 40,000 times almost. Lord. <laughs> yeah. So nice. How long has it been on there, the sound? Uh, so the sound has been on there since March 12, 2005. So okay. 10 years and two okay. weeks. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, were you able to identify it when you, I mean... No, you know I, I, it... I, I didn't hear it in the game, no. No, but now, that I'm, now I'm going to look out for it where, where, where I can find it. Yeah, I can tell you, or All you right. could just look for it yourself. No, no tell, uh, me, tell me, tell me. Tell me, tell me. I actually need to... I, it'll take me just a second, but I have to look it up. Cause, uh, so, Sarah, is this the kind of thing that you regularly do? This kind of VO stuff for uh, for children's dual uh, games or, or for other things? No, no. This was my first experience. Um, ah. And I have to say, any uh, any job where you get to say underpants is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I was... Um, you know, I'm still pretty new to the voiceover world, and, and so this was just, like, just an incredible thing to land in my lap. Cool, cool. Yeah. So if, if uh, people heard your voice and they liked it, how did they get in touch with you if they if they wanted to see if you, they could oh, collaborate? Oh, um... So the the easiest way might be Twitter. Um, my handle is it's a little unusual. It's at s l o d o e n a. Cool. All right. Well, we'll be sure to put that in the notes. Great. Great. Thank you. How about you, David? Are you? We've got lots of listeners, of course, in the game audio space. Are, are you uh, still interested in doing games after working with Patrick, or or is this your last foray in that space? <laughs> no, I'm done with that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, no, but I'm <clears throat> um, I'm interested in in work further working on games, but um, I think only on on very specific ones that I particularly like, yeah. like like this one for example. Um, and I'm also not seeing myself um, like getting a real expert at at some middleware or something. I, I'll use FMOD for some things, but. I'm not like planning to transition completely in, into games. I'll, I'll do some game stuff. Something interesting comes along, maybe. Um, but my main focus will still uh, remain animation. Yeah, I saw your sound creatures project as well. That was really interesting too. Ah, thank you. Yeah. yeah and what can you say about your uh, your sound collections? I always was looking for for things to do in in those off times. Um, that made sense and were were interesting to me as well. I started doing these um, themed sound collections or sound libraries 
and started a maybe you could call it a second company called shapingwaves.com where i'm basically selling collections on different subjects so because i design lots of character voices for example for animation stuff so i thought okay let me do all the tricks i know and create like crazy characters babbling away on on uh, in, in fantasy languages and do a collection of that so that was one of the the first things but then it expanded into having like uh, different ambiences or um, another another collection is for example ambiences designed ambiences from an imaginary planet or from different imaginary planets so I was basically sitting there thinking okay now I'm maybe at this planet what kind of sounds would I hear and then create a three minute ambience of that and it's just a great way for for me to basically keep the creative juices flowing and really deep dive into into certain subjects and yeah and then have some kind of shop thing to to share it so yeah that's shaping waves excellent yeah we uh we've done a, a podcast in the past uh talking specifically about boutique sound libraries and kind of the revolution in boutique mm -hmm. libraries and it's great that uh you're leveraging that in your off hours. Uh, there's such a such a deep, um, deep river of good stuff coming out of that community of mm -hmm. you know sound enthusiasts who now have a way to, you know, monetize and share that and and stay um, stay creative outside the the off hours or outside the office. So it's cool yeah. to see. Cool to see that. I look forward to hearing some of that. Also, the I think the aspect sometimes of just getting out of the studio is great. Actually, do some traveling to some weird place you want to to record, things like that. Figure Did it out. you? Uh, you were talking about windowsill, not metamorphobat for your sound. That's what confused me. Sorry. Uh, I did find your sound. I don't know where it's ah, used. Ah, yes. But you're right. It's in windowsill. I'll let you know. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing the process of metamorphobit with us today on the game audio podcast it's been great having you and kind of hearing about uh how you came into this and the different uh different ways that you've embraced sound in the game and it's again a great game great accomplishment and yeah cheers yeah thanks for joining us very much thanks yeah. for having yeah, thank us you. thank you oh wait we didn't do the, the favorite sound so i'm just gonna play them right at the end now <laughs> this one loop about loop loop i just really liked how that so we were talking about how most of the most of sarah's readings were very kind of straightforward this comes at a point where there's sort of i think one of the more kind of graphically impressive moments in the game there's a this kind of mobius strip of lizards yeah and i really liked this reading of it because it sounded kind of uh her reading sounds sort of a little bit more playful and offhand, which I think works well against this kind of like majestic like image of like all these, you know, these animals walking around. It's still very clear, it's very precise, but I really liked there's just a little bit of like playfulness in that in that reading. So that's why, why thank I you. picked that one. I love and being able to speed, speed up and slow down, down the lizards, lizards when they're walking around too. too. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> totally the best. Right on. right on. That's for, there's an elephant in E, 
And originally I was using uh, some audio I found that was actually captured from a real elephant. And uh, it actually, that's like a, a strangely harsh sound, an elephant roaring. And when mm -hmm. I, in my testing, when I sent it to some people, one of them said, my kid just jumps up every time he hears that. Like it was not scary, but startling. And so I thought, well, I don't really know that I want to have a sound in the game that, you know, kids are frightened by. Uh, and David had earlier suggested, or he had, at some point I think he had suggested, or maybe I told him about, do you remember David? I, I, maybe I explained this problem to you and you said, well, I have this recording I made from, is it sort of some sort of customized trombone, right? <laughs> customized is a nice way of saying I'm not really able to play it well. So that's why it sounds like it's customized, but it's actually a regular. <laughs> okay, so uh, this this trombone. sort of a regular trombone, and so I just uh, I just took that sound. I mean, there were, there were there's probably about half a dozen sounds I cut out of this recording he gave me to use for the different elephant roars, and it has a kind of a weird quirky sound, but it works visually with the elephant, and it's not it's not frightening. It's a much more I think warm. It was also basically played thinking like some kind of creature would make those sounds. And the final uh, favorite sound, and this must be David's then. Yeah, it kind of, in some moments, it sounds, I think, like a spaceship yeah. going off or something in the middle. Um, I think the the reason I I picked that, because that was similar to what Patrick just said about the, the trombone stuff, um, It's it was using something kind of not intuitive um, or, or different for, for a visual thing that was kind of audio wise not working so well in the beginning it, it it's used in uh, in the letter d there's um i think daydream where sort of uh clouds come in through the window and are kind of bubbling away and form the the shapes of of animals and you can can touch them and so that's the sound that you heard is obviously just um a soft drink pouring into into a glass um and there were there are certain parts in there that really work well with how the the foam stuff in the in the animation or in the in the game was was looking so uh once we added that in it worked really well i think um that's one of my my favorites there because um it just immediately feels right i think this one Yeah, it's got a very like abstract association that that sells that feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Great sound. So good. Yeah, All right. that's a really good one. Well now I'm going to play the tune in earnest. <laughs> Thanks guys. It's been really terrific Thank talking you. to you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. Yeah, thanks.